On June 30th, 2013, Emily and I received the most amazing news. That morning we found out that we were becoming parents. In that moment I was filled with joy and happiness and excitement. And yet, as soon as those initial feelings subsided, I began to feel really awkward. Let me explain. You see, on June 30th, 2013, Emily and I were on vacation with my parents in Aruba. And we were sharing a two-bedroom condo with my little brother, who would be out in the main room any second. In fact, Emily had to wait for him to leave the main room so she could tell me the news. And this was the first day in a week-long vacation. Now really, it's absurd that I'm complaining about getting this news while on vacation in Aruba. Hashtag first world problems if ever there were. But it was really tough and here's why. I had just received the best news that I had ever received and I only wanted to do one thing. I desperately wanted to share that news. I wanted to tell my little brother so that he could celebrate with us. I wanted to tell my parents later on at the beach. I wanted to share all the joy and the excitement and the happiness with the people that I loved that I was spending that week with. But I couldn't. How weird is it to have the best news in the world and have to keep it to yourself? Now, I tell you that super random, super self-involved story because that's how I start all my sermons, but <laughs> because we all have amazing news, incredible news, the best news. And this morning, we have to decide what we're going to do about it. I want to take you back in time with me right now, back to a time before TiVo and DVR. Remember back in that day, if your favorite sports team won a big game, or if you just witnessed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, the first thing you'd want to do was call your friends, call your family, call your fellow fans, and talk to them about it. Now, we can't do that anymore, because you never know if somebody's DVRing the game. This has become a real problem in my life. Again, first world problems. But anyways, if we wanted to celebrate our sports team's triumph, we'd call our friends to share the news. If a new restaurant opened and we really liked it, we can't wait to give a good review about it to others. If we get a promotion, if we have news about pregnancy, engagements, marriages, if our child makes student of the quarter, gets into the college that she really wanted to go to, makes all district in their sport, we want to share this news with others. And don't get me started on if you have any news about your grandchildren. <laughs> if Patrick does a puzzle, people three states over hear about it from my mom. When we have news, when we have good news, we desperately want to share it. We want to tell others. We want others to celebrate with us. We want to spread the word. Friends, we have good news today. We've been going through a sermon series that's about the big story that God is telling us in Scripture. We began with creation. Our creation in love, for love, in order to love God and others and to thrive. 
The story's dramatic movement was set in motion by our disobedience, which threw our basic relationships out of whack. Our crisis was that our relationships with God, with others, with creation, and with ourselves all became disordered. Then God reached out to us and made covenant with us in order to, re in order to renew and reorder those relationships. Last week we saw that Jesus came to show us who God really is and to show us that we are loved by God. Jesus reveals to us that God is not one to be feared, but God is loving and gracious and merciful. We can draw near to that God and we can be vulnerable before that God. And this God promises eternal life to those that draw near to him. So we can be vulnerable before others because nothing can take away our life in God. All this brings us to the next element of our story and to our good news, glad tidings of great joy, if you will, which shall be to all people. The next element of our story is church. And to tell the story of the church, I want to go back to the birth of the church and how it retells a very very old story. The story of the birth of the church comes to us from Acts chapter 2. It'll be displayed on this wonderfully raised screen here. And uh, it's also printed in your lifelines. You can find it in any Bible. And if you need a Bible, we give them away for free over at our welcome table. I'm going to be breaking into the narrative a couple times to provide some interpretation. Here we go, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, they being the twelve. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't, these all, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God's in our own tongues. Little secret to those of you who are thinking about leading a Bible study one day. You know how those words are pronounced? Exactly the way you pronounce them if you sound like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> This is a story we tell frequently about Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Jesus has died and has risen from the grave and appeared to all the disciples. Jesus taught his disciples for 40 days and then ascended to heaven but told them to wait and that the Holy Spirit would come to them and would tell them what to do next. So they waited. And this event happens. They're waiting in the upper room, doing what Jesus told them to do, and the Holy Spirit comes. And the result is something very strange. They can speak in a variety of languages. 
Sometimes this story becomes so familiar, we don't get puzzled at the weird parts. But this part is kind of weird. You see, we might expect that when the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples would be given healing powers, like Jesus had. Or that they would be given power to cast out demons, power to do other miracles. That's how Jesus gathered the crowds around him. So it seems to me that that'd be the way that God would want to empower the disciples to reach the nations. But instead, the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak in all the languages of the world. Why? For that, we need to go back to the beginning. Well, almost to the beginning. In the 11th chapter of Genesis. After the flood and Noah's ark, humanity continued to get worse and worse. The Bible says, At this time, everyone spoke the same language, and all of humanity banded together to make a tower that stretched toward heaven. God saw this and worried that if we had one language, we could cooperate and nothing would be impossible to us. So God gave all of us different languages and God scattered us so that we could not understand one another. God gives us different languages because we have the ability to cooperate with each other to accomplish anything we want, but the things that we want to accomplish are sinister. Back then, our relationship with God was out of whack. Through covenant and through Christ, God has repaired our relationship with Him. Which means that going forward, when the Holy Spirit comes in power and might, God can repair our connection with each other. We can communicate. We can understand one another. So when we read this story about the coming of the Holy Spirit, about Pentecost, we see that God is revising an older story. God has restored our ability to communicate with one another and to work together. What then shall we do? Before I can get to that, we have to talk about my favorite part of this story. Amazed and perplexed, this is what the Bible actually says. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Best part of the Bible right there. This amazing miracle has happened. Though all the apostles are from the same region of the world, they can communicate with the crowd who are from many different nations. This is truly amazing. And the only reasonable response is that people think the apostles are drunk. And Peter's most convincing argument for why this isn't the case is because it's too early in the morning. I love that part of the story so much. But I digress. The account of Pentecost continues this way, and it is in this very long section of Scripture that we discover what the church is, what the church is for, and why the Holy Spirit has allowed us to communicate with each other. We've got a lot of verses. Buckle in. Now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, Peter continued. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue re rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you, have, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So in this long speech, in this long sermon, we find the point of the church, the mission of the church, what it means for God to give birth to the church. In this sermon, Peter tells the story of Jesus. Peter tells the story of who God is. The first thing that the church does is tell the story of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit allows the apostles to speak to all the gathered crowd, to speak to all the nations, to tell the story of God's love in Jesus Christ to everyone. We are given the ability to communicate. We are given the ability to understand each other so that we can tell the story of God's love in Jesus Christ to all. And that legacy continues to us. 
God creates the church. God gives birth to the church in order to tell the story of God's love for the world. God sustains the church to spread that story to the ends of the earth. We exist to tell the story and to embody the story in a world that God loves very dearly. We are the keepers of the story. We are the ones entrusted with that story. You are here today as a part of Christ's church. You are part of this massive movement of the Spirit that God has brought about to tell the story of God's love. Your task is to tell the story, to embody the story, and to lead others into the story. How are you doing that? How are you telling this story? How does your life communicate God's love to others? How are you making God's love for the world real to your friends, to your neighbors, and to your coworkers? Are you being loving and generous and charitable and hospitable? And do people know why? You see, as keepers of this story, as part of Christ's church, we are called to be a peculiar people. We are called to be people like Bill. When a researcher went to Bill's church, she kept hearing people say that Bill was the person to meet, that all the youth and students loved Bill. So when the researcher went to see Bill, she was expecting to see someone in their late 20s who played the guitar and who was funny but not mean. I mean, that's what we think of as people who might appeal to the youngins. What she found was a man in his late 70s. How in the world could someone at so many stages of life removed from the youth make such a connection, make such an impression? When the researcher did some more digging, she found out that Bill went to all the sports games, all the concerts, all the performances. Anything that a youth from that church was involved in, Bill was there. And Bill brought others from the church with him. So the researcher asked Bill, why are you doing this? He said, when I was a youth, when I was a student, no one ever showed up for me. No one ever showed up to my games. No one ever showed up to my performances. And I thought about how that changed me. And I vowed that would never happen to a single person in my church. As members of the church, we are keepers of a story. As members of the church, we embody that story. And we belong to a peculiar people who embody radical love in this world. Part of telling the story of God's love for us in Jesus Christ is telling the story of people that have embodied that story. As Charles Marsh puts it, part of the job of the church is to, quote, speak of those who stand for God in the quiet work of justice and mercy. Let us speak of the reconciler, the peacemakers, and the brokenhearted, of those who long, the mad and the maladjusted. There are many in the United States and throughout the world who labor quietly in inauspicious places, restoring hope among the disheartened and the excluded. We find them serving food to the hungry, sharing their evenings with the lonely and forgotten, showing hospitality to strangers, building houses for the homeless, encouraging those who despair with words of healing and kindness. Sometimes, too, we find them in their writing shacks, crafting stories of the new kingdom. These people are like wild and crooked trees. They live in the freedom of Christ with open hearts and minds, 
They are rough around the edges, but real as rock. Some of those people have called Spirit and Life home throughout the years. Which is as good a time as any to switch gears from talking about the church to talking about a church. Because this church just celebrated our sixth birthday as a church worshiping God weekly. Technically, it should have been last Sunday, but I pushed it back a week to coincide with the sermon because you can do those sorts of things. Spirit and Life began as a small group back in July of 2010 to witness and engage and tell the story to, Montcla to the Montclair end of Prince William County. And since then, the people of Spirit and Life have helped people authentically encounter Jesus Christ through worship, through small groups, through outreach, through evangelism. Thousands of people have connected and heard about God's love for them through this church. This church exists to tell the story of God's love for the world in Jesus Christ. This church has been faithful to her mandate to tell that story. This church in her short history has much to celebrate. And this morning, I wanted to take some time to celebrate that. Over by the welcome table this morning and by the coffee and by lots of different places, we had a word cloud that we created using our Facebook reviews. Those are some of the words that people have used... Oh, there it is. Those are some of the words that people have used to describe this church uh, in their reviews on Facebook. As a way of celebrating all that this church has done, all that it has meant, I want us to make a new one. Right now. It's going to be fun. You're going to love it, I swear. So we have this cool way, beauty of technology, torpedoing into the 21st century. If you text Spirit Life 384, so put that in the body of the text, to the number 22333, you'll be logged in to this system. And then if you text words that describe Spirit and Life, they will show up on the screen. Kevin's going to do it right now. Show us how cool this is. It's amazing, right? So we're going to do that. And here's the, way word, here's the thing about word clouds. If, uh, if you see a word up here and you agree with it, text it again. Because the more times a word is used, the bigger the word will be in the word cloud. So you don't, it, we're not, we're not, I was going to say a board game that involves thinking of words that mean the same thing. We're not playing that game. Uh, it, there we go. Look at that. If you don't have a cell phone, someone around you does and would be happy to text your words along with their words. So we're going to take a, take a few minutes to figure out what people think about Spirit Life. What has this church meant to you? How would you describe this church? What about this church should we celebrate? Let's have some fun. Oh, yes. Spirit Life uh, the number is 22333. That's the number to text. I'm going to do it right now as I say it. 22333. And text Spirit Life 384. One word, 
Yes. And if you separate a word with spaces, like small groups, then it's going to come up as two different words. So small and group would come in there. So if you want small groups to be a part of the word cloud, just make it all one word. That was fun while it lasted. <laughs> so here's the thing about technology. It's wonderful and great. Um, it's limited. <laughs> here's what we're going to do. Making this, this is live church, they say. Um, so this is awesome. The other, throughout the week, let's keep celebrating. We're going to keep the celebration going. Um, we're going to find a way. Check out our Facebook on Tuesday morning. And we're going to find a way to do this via, I'm looking at Kevin, I don't mean that you have to do this. I'm just, my mind is going to technology and you know technology. This is going to be my, okay, this is going to put Kevin less on the spot if I just stand and look this way. We're going to find a way. So check out our Facebook page on Tuesday morning. We're going to find a way to do this via um, all coming together. So we'll have this one, we'll have the other one, and we'll have a third one. We'll have many of these things. So we can celebrate spirit and life all throughout the week. Because you know what's better than a birthday? A birthday week. <laughs> there are many things in this church to celebrate. Um, those that didn't get to put words up there, what would you celebrate? Friendship. Friendship. Laid back. Laid back. Openness. Openness. Caring. Caring. Music. music. Soul. Compassion. Compassion. Great preaching. Great preaching. I heard that somewhere. <laughs> that goes with that. <laughs> Humor. Humor. <laughs> Let us go to God in prayer. God, we are so thankful that you have created this church. A church that we can call home. A church that's real and compassionate. A church where friendship abounds. And a church where we can be comfortable, where we can be laid back, and we can laugh. God, we give you thanks for everything that this church has meant to us and to this wider community. And God, we ask that today that you would poke us, that you would prod us with your Holy Spirit, that you would nudge us to go out into our world as bearers of the story, to embody this story. 
and to take our place in the long line of faithful disciples of this church and of your church universal. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.